What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It is absolutely, bar none, the best way for authors to make a living selling their books. Are you tired of feeling like you have to be on social media 50 hours a week just to sell a few books and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually lead to any book sales? Are you tired of hearing people say that you just have to be patient with the social media game for a long time so that you can build that following and that trust? Yeah, I was too, because there's only one of me, and ammo solves that problem. Now, here's the deal. It's a system that can actually guarantee results, and I'm not the one doing the guaranteeing, and I don't think that Steve Piper, who founded Ammo, would literally say that it's a guarantee, but what's a guarantee here is that when you spend advertising dollars in the right way, you get results and you're profitable. Okay, the concept here is if you spend a dollar and make two, you are profitable. And Ammo does that for its authors. I want you to check out the link in the show notes because this program has the ability to change your life. And hey, it's not for everyone. If you're a traditionally published author, it might not work for you because your margins will be too small to get profitable advertising on your own. That's something you'll have to take up with your publisher. But if you're self-published, if you're indie published, this thing could be great for you. If you have a few books out, especially if you're a series writer, this is a game changer. The whole podcast is now part of the Ammo family. So you'll notice every Wednesday, this show is Ammo Edition. But even on Mondays, you're listening to a show that exists because this author, this host of the podcast uses Ammo and makes money selling books. It's a beautiful feeling. I encourage you to check it out. Today is the 21st of June, and that means it is the longest day of the year for us Northern Hemispherites. It's the shortest day of the year if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. I do have a few listeners in Australia from time to time, not too many people from South America. I'd love for that to change, but because this podcast is in English, it might not ever be a really huge deal in like Peru or uh, Chile. I love Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, And I know that not all South American countries are Spanish-speaking. That's not what I'm saying. I just happen to love Spanish-speaking countries. So, you know, like Mexico. It appeals to me. I wonder, do you feel that way? Do you ever feel just really drawn to a culture? Sometimes I think back on how I developed the things that interest me, and I wonder uh, if I am, you know, appropriating. I don't think I am. I think I'm just fascinated by something that's not like me. And uh, maybe some of the romanticism would go away if... I thought about it a little bit more. In fact, I can give you an example of that being the case. Uh, My favorite baseball player growing up was Ryan Sandberg. Uh, And actually, that's a good example in and of itself. The luster has really disappeared after he took up a little bit of broadcasting for the Cubs uh, in recent years. And I find him to be more boring than chewing on sawdust. Yeah, just not a lot of character in the uh, broadcasting booth. (laughs) But anyways, you don't come here to listen to my reflections on on, uh, baseball. Oh, well, I guess I should finish that story, though. So anyways, uh, Sandberg was born in Spokane, Washington, and I found myself, by good luck and fortune, accepted to the Masters of Fine Arts in Fiction-Focused program at Eastern Washington University in Spokane, Washington. And when I got there, uh, it it quickly de-lusterized for me. That's definitely a word, de-lusterized. Uh, And then by the time I left, I had fallen back in love with it. So do that what you will. It was a culture I wasn't used to. It took me a little while to find my stride. By the time I did find my stride, it was time to go. That's sort of like life for you. Um, I will report that my ads are really going gangbusters right now for Amazon. Since this is ammo edition of TRBM, uh, you want to know that my ads are doing well. They had tanked after I was uh, restricted, and it took me a little while to kind of figure out what they wanted from me. Once they brought me back, you'll hear me discuss that a little bit with my guest, who is M.G. Heron. Uh, Matt M.G. Heron uh, is my guest for today's show, and he has a ton of really good information about his process. What I liked about having Matt on is that he's the first guest that I've had from the Ammo program, who is actually newer than me. He's having more success than I am and he has more books out there than I do, and he's done a ton of advertising before. So 
he has a lot of experience, but in terms of being an ammo student, he's newer to it than I am. And so it was cool to hear him think through the process and in some ways be on the same kind of curve as he is. Uh, we're both learning some of the same lessons. He's probably less stubborn than I am, uh, which helps him uh, as well. But yeah, phenomenal conversation, some eye-opening beliefs that he carries around that I think have helped him and challenged me and got me thinking about what I want to value in this process. So I do hope that you enjoy this conversation with M.G. Heron. And don't forget, if you're interested in ammo, I've got links all over the place in the show notes. It's pretty hard to miss them. Check it out. You won't be disappointed you did. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. Well, it's good to, to get to talk to you finally. Well, I know we've talked a little bit in the, the data review calls, but nothing like this. We go back and forth quite a bit on Facebook Messenger, always asking each other questions. Hey, is today a, a really crappy day for sales for you too? And um, sometimes the answer is no. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had good days. I've had bad days. You know, sometimes they're just days. Since since I got let out of Facebook jail, which I think I told you this, but um, they never gave me a reason. They never told me why they did it. I sent in, you know, requesting them to review it. And I would get them being like, be patient with us while we look into this and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, just without any explanation, I was instated again. They said my ad was approved and I'm back. Yeah. And I I never got a reason for it. So um, a bit of a downside to being beholden to Facebook, but you know, every, every system has its holes, I think. Yeah. Isn't that just like a, a tacit admission of guilt? If they don't give you a reason, it's like, exactly. sorry, it's our fault. Yes. We messed up. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, like they, they, you know, they're tweaking and changing things all the time. It's software. Mm-hmm. It's never done. Right. They're right. always iterating, improving, changing due to, you know, releasing new features or adhering to new privacy laws or having a best, better way to do the statistical modeling. Like they're always messing with something and you never know when they're doing it or what they're messing with. Amazon's the same way. You know, like I saw Mm -hmm. the author community was blown up the other day about, um, Oh God, Amazon has removed the serious carousel from our product pages. Ah, yeah. And you know, it's like, well, they're just, maybe they made that change. Maybe that was, you know, what Mm -hmm. they, what they're doing. And you just have no control over that, which is, you know, one of the reasons I, I like selling direct. Yes. Yeah. Likewise. Um, it, it reminds me so much. And I don't remember the first person on this podcast who said it, uh, but th- the idea of owning your email list is ultimately the only way that you become, I think, uh, failure proof. I was, I was thinking of, of like recession proof or something along those lines. But if you own your email list, especially if it's large enough, there's nothing that can stop you from selling every book you have to publish in your yeah. life. Um, unless you write shitty books. And I do think that that can be a concern for some people. Um, do you ever, like, mm-hmm. I guess I want to start there because I don't know as much about your writing process or or who you are as a writer. I read uh, one of your books. Thank you for sending me the the ebook or excuse me, the audio book. It was great. You bet. Um, what's your process? How do you know that you've written a quality book? Uh, what are you doing before the public sees it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have a whole editing process, but I, I also feel like it's not really my job to judge the quality of a book. You know, okay. I feel like people get caught up in that and that it's really the audience's job to to tell me the market's job to tell me whether I did a good mm-hmm. job or not. You know, for me, I'm just telling the stories I want to tell. And I, I do care about the quality. So I have an editorial process mm-hmm. where, you know, I hire editors. I use beta readers to give me feedback. Um, but, you know, ultimately I, I just write the story that wants to be told. I don't have a, yeah. a real good uh, way to explain it other than that. You know, I, I certainly think as, as I've gotten more experienced, I've gotten better at writing stories that are marketable. Yeah. <clears throat> the mistakes I made early in my career, like portal science fiction, kind of a niche genre. I could have picked a better yeah. genre, right? I could have picked yeah. a genre that was easier to sell. That's on me. 
Yeah. And then when I did the gun files, you know, sci-fi mystery, I love sci-fi mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to set that one in Austin because I love the city of Austin. You know, in many ways that, that series is my love letter to Austin, Texas. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it, it covers themes and tropes that I love. Um, I, I wanted to kind of like a, a Harry Dresden noir investigator sort of story, but I wanted it to be sci-fi. And, uh, that, that also is on me because turns out, uh, urban science fiction is not a super popular genre. Probably should have written an urban fantasy. You know, it would have been easier to sell. And so, um, I think over time, I just get closer and closer to, that sweet spot of what I like and what mm. the audience likes. And I felt like when I released Relics of the Ancients and that Kickstarter, I finally like had my first experience of nailing, nailing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I want to take uh, just a moment to kind of uh, separate from, from what you're talking about and what I'm talking about, because I think there's room for both. You talked about your editorial process and then ran right past it to, I think, a, an important perspective that once the book is ready, once it's edited and its quality is there, then what the public thinks of it is of little concern to you. Um, and we can, mm-hmm. we can discuss why it hurts really bad when people don't love a choice that you made. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I'm sure. especially talking about the time that it is required to get editing so that any kind of um, third arm problems are taken care of. Uh, and then obviously there's going to be proofreading. And when I say third arm, I'm not talking about aliens because I'm sure that some of the aliens in your series is have <laughs> at least three arms. Um, <laughs> but I'm talking about uh, it's an editor I spoke to a while ago. Lori uh, says her whole job as an editor for one of the big houses was to read through a manuscript and make sure that if there was mm-hmm. say a sex scene that somebody didn't have one hand on the pillow, another hand on the, the shoulder and a third hand. And, you know, tickle in their bum or something. <laughs> You're right, like, wait a right, second, yeah. got a third arm problem here. And it's it's hard as a writer not to have those moments. Uh, I even had a little slip up that all of my editors didn't catch where I changed vehicles from one book to the next totally. book without thinking just that there was anything. And readers caught it. And they're like, wait a sec, why did we go from an Oldsmobile to a Chevy Savannah? Like there, there was never any mention of that change. <laughs> Your readers mm-hmm. will catch it. And those are moments where you let them down. So that's when I talk yeah. about quality. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, less so than the sure. story itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when I first started, I did a lot of developmental editing because I, you know, was under yeah. the impression that like the book, was, like I wasn't a good enough writer. The mm. book wasn't good enough. Yep. And so I went through a lot of revisions. And <clears throat> I mean, I, I spent 14 months writing my first novel, including the the editing process. The next one yeah. I actually wrote first, but then I revised heavily the gun mm-hmm. files first novel I rewrote from scratch because the first draft was no good. So like I, the, the thing about me is that I have high standards and I mm-hmm. care about quality yeah. and I know through editing stuff and rewriting stuff that the, the editing and revision can make it a little bit better, but yeah. it doesn't make the core story better. And I think readers care about the story. Like obviously mm-hmm. you've got to not have a third arm. You've got to keep their consistent eye color. You got to, you have to be consistent yeah. within character. You have to be consistent in point of view. I consider all of that table stake stuff that I've practiced, yes. you know, and I have, have a line editor and copy editor who, who, who keeps me honest. And I have my beta readers who sometimes more than that copy editor keep me yeah. honest, you know, so they're going to catch all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you know, I no longer subscribe to the idea that writing is rewriting. I, I think that's a crock of shit. Interesting. I, wow. I don't think it's true. I mean, if you look at some of the best authors in the world, they basically write first draft fiction and mm-hmm. not everybody can do that. It takes a lot of practice, but I don't think that the professional commercial genre fiction authors are, are writing three, four, five, six drafts, right? Like your, your literary mm-hmm. authors sometimes brag about that. And I yeah. suspect that when people say they do that, they're, they're exaggerating, right? Like, sure. Mm-hmm. I go through four drafts. I do my first draft. I mm-hmm. reread it. You know, I send <laughs> it to my editor. <laughs> I send it to my beta reader. That's four yeah. drafts, isn't it? Of course yeah. it's four drafts. Look how hard I'm working. Right. But it, it feels like mm-hmm. a little bit um, disingenuous sometimes. And I know a lot of full-time authors who do not revise their work heavily. Right. Like I'll fix yeah. stuff if I see a better way to, you know, do this scene or do that ending, whatever. But my mm-hmm. process has always been write the best book you can can write now and get better over time. And so even when I get feedback from an editor or from my beta readers, I will prioritize what I'm going to do now and what I'm not going to do. And a lot of that is based on how long it's going to take me. If Mm -hmm. your feedback is right and it's going to take me a year to do it, 
to rewrite this novel completely or a month or six months or whatever it is, like, I'm probably not going to do that because it's not a good use of my time as a writer. My job as a writer is to produce stories and to get better over time so that I can be the best storyteller I could be. Not to shine Hmm. this turd and tell it's a beautiful polished turd, right? Because no matter how much you shine, it's still a turd, right? So I have books that don't sell. I don't bother going back to them now. And actually, if you Hmm. look back at my catalog, the ones that sell... The worst in some cases are the ones that I revised the most. So it doesn't yeah. actually make the story more marketable. It doesn't make it more saleable. It taught me a lot mm. as a writer, but also it was miserable. And I know there are <laughs> authors who love the revision, right? Like I know authors who will revise and just be so happy. Like they, I know mm-hmm. people who hate first drafts and love the revision process and good for them if that's what you yeah. want to do. But I really don't think it's going to necessarily make the story better. And if you're doing the same thing over and over, it's not going to make you better as a writer. It's mm-hmm. the same thing as that. Uh, you ever hear about that study um, where they divided the class into equal portions and they said uh, this this half of the class, you know, segment A, make as many pots as you can. Yes. And this yes. this side of the class, segment B, make the best pot possible right yeah and the segment b you know as the story goes and i I haven't reviewed the actual data of the study myself Mm -hmm. but i I think it's very applicable as a metaphor to writing i'm going to get better as a writer by writing 10 stories but then by rewriting the same story 10 times yeah because you get to see more nuance you get to see more depth you get to see more breadth Mm -hmm. you just get more experience of putting a beginning a middle and an end together into into a coherent narrative so that's the that's the camp i've kind of subscribed to and i've chosen to go one because i don't like revising and i've been down that road and it didn't help me it actually froze me it it ruined me you know my i'm a bit of a perfectionist and if i'm allowed or encouraged to do that sort of writing it's it's just not good for me so that's me you know your mileage may vary but yeah, I was going to say for for sure we're we're on a slightly different um, trajectory in terms of that process. But uh, you and I had shared in in back and forth on Messenger that my first book, uh, The Nine Lives of Marvin Longhigh, which is part of my package that I sell with Ammo, uh, it took me five years to write. From the the day that I first drafted it, it was about a, a male detective who was investigating African lice that inhabited the heads of only women and. Uh, you know, gave them a fatal disease. And so there's this whole huge kind of biochemical warfare engineering of, of species and all that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah. It was, it was awful. It was a horrible book, but I really fell in love with the characters. So I took them <laughs> and I transported them to kind of a similar place. And I wrote another draft of the novel with a real grab assy detective. And I didn't like how he turned out. Uh, and the ending was so unbelievable. And then I thought, you know what, right now people want to read about a, a, a female protagonist. So I thought, why don't I flip flop these two and write the woman as the lead? And mm. it actually did work for me. So, you mm. know, brand new third draft book goes and I love it. And I start pitching it to an agent and an agent picks it up. And then we, you know, proceed to write two more drafts of the book to get it where she thinks it's sellable. And it didn't end up, I did get an offer for it, but it didn't end up selling because they wanted to publish me in 2025. And I had come very close to the place where you're at, where I was like, F this, it's time to actually have readers and stop worrying about one damn book. Um, mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I've written uh, a dozen books and they were all just sitting there waiting for the first one to to uh, break it. the seal, I guess. And you're like, this is stupid. So mm-hmm. I've, I've really come pretty close to thinking the way that you do. There's also a really popular kind of, uh, brassy self-published author that I can't think of his name right now. He has a blog and he writes thrillers. Um, but he basically is like, Hey, I'll, I'm happy publishing an 86%. If I think it's 86% ready, I'm not going to spend another year making it hundred percent ready. Um, 80, 20 rule, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, you said you spent five years writing that first book. How much of that was learning to write a story, learning story structure right. and plotting and characterization? It's like you you didn't spend five years writing that one story. You spent right. five years learning to be a writer and then you wrote yeah. the other stories. And I bet your other books were faster to write, right? Much faster. Yeah. Now now I'm putting yeah. together a book that I'm really proud of in three months, to be honest. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, I feel like there's so many pervasive myths of publishing. And one of them is that rewriting is writing and yeah. that you should do six drafts. That's uh, that's just a killer myth that is just going to destroy careers. And and I mm-hmm. think has, 
You know, I know yeah. a lot of authors who just they just can't take the slog, you know, and luckily yeah. I'm I'm stubborn as a mule and I got through it. Yeah. But then I was like, no, I'm not going to do that again. And yeah. I, I had to learn that that lesson myself, you know, um, yeah. just like, you know, I've had um, not with big, big press, you know, not with New York publishing, but I've had like traditional deals. And I had to learn through that process that that wasn't the process that was mm-hmm. a good fit for me. But yeah. I, I didn't know that at the time, right? Like you can only learn through experience. So the yep. best thing we could do for new writers is just try to break the myths early so that they could save themselves from from that yeah. pain that I experienced revising and torturing myself uh, yeah. about that book that never really sold. Have you read uh, any of Roberto Bolaño by any chance? No. Okay. So he wrote a, a novel called 2666. Uh, he also wrote The Savage Detectives. Um, he he was the kind of guy who he's Chilean. He moved to Mexico. Uh, he wrote tons and tons of poetry. He was part of a really big scene. And all of his life, he's writing fiction and not really doing anything with it because the reputation of a fictionista was not okay uh, for, for kind of mm. the climate he lived in. And as he mm-hmm. got close to dying, he wanted his children to have something to live uh, on and he wanted to leave them something. And so he started publishing all of his fiction. And 2666 is a highly revered book. Sag- Savage Detectives is highly revered. There's some sweet spot for him right there where he had enough time while he was still alive to revise those books into a position where they were just like perfect. And he published probably, I think, six or eight books posthumously that they didn't have the time for him to really like dial them in and I've read them and and they're, they're not great. So I think that's the small counter to the idea of the rewriting. There's, there's a place for it, but everything that you're saying is true. It it doesn't, it doesn't take the kind of snooty highfalutin attitude of, of hard work. Um, Do you have, do you set goals in life? Are you, are you a goal setting kind of person? Oh, I'm very much a goal setter. Yeah. All right. Talk to me a little bit about goals. I had that feeling as you were talking. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a systems thinker. What I do in my day job is I'm a experience and and product design strategist. So, you know, my company builds um, apps, websites, brands, uh, industrial products for um, for for big brands um, like you know Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies, innovative startups. And so, as a strategist, I'm certainly a systems thinker, and um, I'm very goal oriented and motivated that way. Um, and I've always found, you know, with writing, if I can set a goal and then break it down into smaller chunks, it's less overwhelming. So I started with, you know, word count goals. And now there are, you know, sales goals, revenue goals, marketing goals, uh, publishing goals, as well as the writing goals. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of how I am, how I think, how I motivate myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a goal setter as well. Part of the the reason I asked is that you, you, have at least touched on a couple of times the idea of hard work being a little bit of an ego trip. I think that some people think that working really, really hard makes them better people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I have, I just have yeah. three goals that the I achiever. have in my, my office. Exactly. The achiever, the guy who who wakes up at five and doesn't go to bed until midnight and, you know, every mm-hmm. hour is spent productively. Um, one of, one of my goals is, is play as a massive part of my life and I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. Um, I want people to know me as the guy who's happy to stop what I'm doing and go play for a little while, whether that's like Zelda with my kids or going down to the beach and yeah. swimming in the water or something like that. Um, yeah, totally. That stuff feeds your soul, man. You can't yeah. work all the time. It's, uh, it's impossible. I mean, people who say that they're putting on a front, in my opinion, nobody yeah. works that, that hard all the time. But I think some people hold it up, uh, as like a trophy, like, look how hard I work. Yes. Look at my success, you know? And I, I think a lot of that has to do with personality types too. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like achievement. I care about it, but yeah. um, it's not my number one priority, you know? Yeah. So changing, um, direction a little bit, you are, let's say moderately successful on Amazon. You're moving enough copies that uh, most people envy where you're at with Amazon, but you also decided that you wanted to do direct fulfillment with ammo. So talk to me a little bit about retailers, including Amazon and why it wasn't ultimately enough for you. So when I got into publishing in 2015, like the only model that existed that was successful was KU, right? There are certainly people who were, who were wide, but they were, you know, formally traditionally published or, Mm -hmm. you know, had this deal or that distribution strategy or whatever. And, and KU, especially in the sci-fi genre was where it was at, um, Mm -hmm. especially rapid releasing into KU. I tried it and, you know, whether it was those series or those books 
books or my approach to marketing or my audience size at the time, which in 2015 was zero. Um, it just didn't work for me, right? I don't write fast enough to make it work. And when I did save up three books and rapid release them, we happened to do it at the beginning of a pandemic, which you might say was not great timing. So um, it just didn't work for me. And I think my what I realized was that this wide, long-term direct sales strategy is just a much better fit for who I am as a person, as a mm. strategic person as somebody who produces two or three books a year rather than a book or two a month um as a person who who also does not like to be you know have all my eggs in one basket right like mm -hmm. i like to be diversified and i i plan to do this long term i cannot i just cannot put all my eggs in one basket i need to have you know a lot of different channels and a lot of different uh opportunities and uh you know putting my books everywhere is a much better strategy for me. It gives me freedom and control, mm -hmm. right? I can control when I want to do promotions. I can control my pricing. I can control um, whether I'm selling direct or not, right? Like part of the, yeah. the drawback of, of Kindle Unlimited is that if you put your books in there, you can't do anything else with them. Right. I can't market them elsewhere. I can't put them in a bundle. I can't sell them direct, you know, mm -hmm. and people who are in KU and doing things like Kickstarter have to do like special editions, like, yeah. or you have to do it before. So, you know, there's just a lot of limitations around exclusivity and it doesn't feel good to me. Um, yep. And as a strategist, you know, I spent a lot of time doing content strategy over the last several years, like just the all, all in on KU is just antithetical to my like whole philosophy around marketing and life. Mm -hmm. um, and the irony in all this, Jody, is that when I, decided to give up chasing what everybody else told me was the right thing to do was mm -hmm. when I started experiencing a new level of success, right? A new level yeah. of validation, right? I went into KU. I, I've, I've got over a million page reads in KU, right? Mm -hmm. But they add up over the years, like at the time I went into KU and it was like, expect the world. And it was just, you know, nothing, yeah. just nothing really. When I went lied with my books, started promoting them how I wanted to promote them. I started getting BookBub deals. I ran the Kickstarter, right? Yeah. I, my mind opened to new possibilities. I started selling direct. I mean, I've made thousands of dollars selling on my Shopify store this year that I would not be able to do any of that if I was in mm -hmm. KU. It really limits your options. It's yeah. the same reason why I think my publishing path, um, and I still consider myself an independent author, although I guess you'd call me a hybrid author because I, I do still have like the Gun Files audiobooks are with Audible studios still they will be for a while mm -hmm. um, but i took back the gun files ebooks and print book rights because the way that they were published they were stuck in ku and i couldn't promote them they weren't yeah. mine to promote they were the publishers to promote and uh so in order to you know breathe new life into those books to you know write the rest of the series that i want to write i needed to take them back uh, mm -hmm. to take back control and you know my value system prioritizes things like creative control <clears throat> and freedom to do what I want to do. And KU is just the opposite of that for me. Yeah. So I decided I'm not going to play that rat race game. I'm yeah. just going to get out of it. I'm going to run my own game. And I've made more money doing that than I ever had in KU. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. it's just validation that like what works for you works for you. Right. And KU yeah. works great for some people. I'm just not that person. Yeah. I think the one, the one caveat that I would say is to authors who have fewer books out there, KU gives you the ability <clears throat> to have a low barrier to entrance. If you've written something that's really great that resonates, get in there and let some people read it, accumulate some reviews, accumulate some page reads. You're going to get people who get back to you and say, Hey, this didn't work out really well for me, or this is why I didn't like it. And they might not even leave a review, but they just like, there's just this, there, there are people out there. I don't understand them because I'm not this way. And I'll, I'm the first to say it. Like I, I'm not altruistic. I'm not trying to help anybody along the way. I'm trying to help me. Um, and there are times where I get really invested in a person and I do help them because I love or care about them. But generally speaking, you know, I'm out for me. So when people get to you and they say, Hey, I noticed this element in your story that really didn't work for me, you know, let the ego down. Okay. I can, I can think about that. The next book, I can, I can incorporate that feedback and write a better book. So it's great to be in That's KU it. when you're early on and just really yeah. keep the ego suppressed and let, let the community feedback help you along the way. That would be the place where I would see the advantage to KU. Mm. Well, and again, there's, it's not that any of these are bad strategies. It's the, is it the yeah. right strategy for you? Sure. 
at that time, right? And when you just have one book, like the direct sales stuff is hard. It's really <laughs> yes. hard. You yeah. you're not going to experience a lot of success if you're trying to you know use this strategy that we're using to sell direct on a Shopify store. If you only have one book, uh, you got to move right. a lot of units just to cover the the operational costs and the yes. advertising costs of one book. It's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle. So like in yep. that case, like Matt in 2015 deciding to go into KU was a good strategic move at the time mm-hmm. because I had one book. I'd never published anything. I had to figure, I'd never marketed anything. I didn't have a list, right? Like I had to figure everything out and it gave me access to an audience that, that read the book, uh, even if it was just in small numbers, right? Mm -hmm. That gave me a start, right? Gave me the start to my list, the start to my marketing, the start to my brand, um, the start to, you know, like learning as a writer, um, what people thought about a finished story rather than just a draft that I had sent yeah. them. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly people who who are into that and are at the right time in their career where it makes sense. I also know authors who like put books wide, leave them there for a couple of years, take yeah. them out and put them back in KU for a run. Like, you know, there, mm-hmm. are, there are good marketing reasons to do that stuff. But the, the reason I haven't done that yet is, again, it's not right for me. It's not yeah. right for me right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it won't be in the future, right? Like yeah. I could imagine a scenario 10 years from now where this series has kind of died. It's not really doing much. I want to breathe some new life back into it. I've got a chunk of cash to spend on advertising and I'm going to throw it in KU and and pump it and see what happens. And like, that could be great, you know, but yeah. um, where I am right now, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, yeah. I just, I, I know it's right for me and I'm, I'm always trying to be very careful to speak in this context. And mm-hmm. I think some people Absolutely. hear advice and they take it as universal advice, right? But it, yeah. it's coming from, from me. And if you know who I am as a person, you know why that makes sense for me. But I always like mm-hmm. to couch it in like, this is what makes sense to me and why I do things. But, yeah. you know, your mileage may vary. You just don't know uh, what another person is doing or experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, um, I, I already talked to David Scherer. Uh, he's the counterpart to Lydia Scherer who sells uh, her mm-hmm. books through ammo. Um, and you know, they, they've done all kinds of different things. They've done, uh, KU totally. they've done, yeah. Ammo they've done Kickstarter. Uh, and then soon I've got, uh, Jennifer Yanis and Jonathan Yanis. They do. I, I'm so excited to release their episode because of the things they're doing from a, a public standpoint. I feel like I just barely scratched yeah. the surface. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. John, Jonathan and Jennifer Yanez uh, will be on soon, and they actually always have a series in um, KU, mm-hmm. something that they're really strongly mm-hmm. pushing in KU so that they can keep that bestseller yep. kind of thing going over there. And then they've got series mm-hmm. that they only do direct. Uh, you know, it, there's so many different ways to do it. And I, I before we jump into the ammo bit, because I do want to spend a significant amount of time talking that through with you, um, I guess I wanted to talk about the the feeling of of stuckness that you get because there's i think there's a reason for all of us that we eventually come to ammo and before we actually talk about what ammo is talk a little bit about the stuckness feeling because I, I i just i know that you've had it before and it's driven oh, you sure. in some way yeah yeah it's like you know the feeling where, where you're trying all sorts of things and like none of it's working right it's like you're just throwing stuff at the wall and it's all just sliding down and piling up on the floor you're like just failure after failure after failure it can really feel like that when you're doing marketing sometimes one you either don't have enough feedback right you're not getting the results you want you're not whatever you're doing isn't That's resonating right. with an audience and certainly <clears throat> the feeling of stuckness happens is in your writing too right like I, mm-hmm. i've gotten to m- the midpoint of a book and gone well i have no idea what happens next and i just <laughs> yes. need to like step back and percolate on it for a while and then it becomes so obvious um mm-hmm. you know so yeah it's it's a difficult thing what what i've come to realize is that once you have the process it's just a matter of trying things until you figure out what works and mm-hmm. sometimes we get stuck in this little circle so the cool thing about um ammo is that there's a group of people that you can yeah. talk to and there's experts that you can go to you know data review calls with to ask their advice and you know at first when i started it i was trying to really follow the system to make sure i was doing everything step by step because mm-hmm. i get creative and i start changing things and then i'm like why is nothing working so i thought okay if i'm going to implement this i'm going to do it exactly as he says exactly so that when i get stuck my changes aren't the issue right like Mm -hmm. i don't want to be the one that is in the way of like putting myself in the way of being successful right so i thought i'm gonna follow the rules i'm gonna do exactly what he says yeah and when 
when it starts working, then I can, you know, get creative because it's like, it's like with the writing, right? Like everybody loves when a writer breaks the rules, but they have to break them well. And mm-hmm. it, you can't do that until you know what the rules are and how to follow them. So that's yeah. kind of how I feel about w- with the the direct sales and marketing stuff. Like I'm going to follow the rules to make sure I'm doing it best practices, mm. you know, doing it right. Uh, and then once I know what I'm doing, I can break the rules. And at that point, it'll be a little bit easier to figure out why things are going wrong because I know what right feels like. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that for myself, and it is a good lead into the ammo process. Uh, I still can't tell you with certainty that I know what, what, good feels like. I know what moving in the right direction feels like, and I'm starting to learn what is going on internally because there's this huge, and I I can't speak for every writer, but I can definitely speak for me. There's a huge emotional weight on thinking something's great and not getting the kind of feedback that you're expecting. Um, Yep. And so that often induces stubbornness for me in this program Mm -hmm. is that I'll be doing something and I'm like, I know that this is right. Why is no one else responding to it? Uh, And it it can just be very, very frustrating if I, if I'm not willing to adapt. Uh, Have you had some of that experience yourself? Yeah. I mean, like (laughs) the, the classic example is like, you're running some headline tests and you're looking at the data and you're like, but this one is better. Yes. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think, because if the market responds to that one and I'm marketing my books, like I need yeah. to do what the market wants. It, it's it's not like this tagline fits my book just fine. I just think it's the lame one, but it won the test. It won every test over and yeah. over again. Like I just, at a certain point, I'm like, fine, I'm just going to follow the data. And it's yeah. such a different process to writing. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly like when people publish a book that they think is the bee's knees, right? And then they yep. get bad reviews. Like it could probably feel like that too, but it's like somebody's, you know, insulting your ugly baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think like the taglines that I think should be good don't work. Images mm-hmm. I think should be good don't work. You know, I it's it annoys me. I don't feel like I want to put my face on everything, but my stupid face keeps winning creative tests. That's so funny. I'm going to keep using my stupid face because it sells yeah. books. That's funny. I, I don't, I don't love it. You know, it's like, I remember Steve said this in the course, like this photo of me in the pink suit sells books. Yeah. I don't know why, but it does. And so I'm just going to use that. So I think you just have to have different principles and different priorities when you're trying to sell your books versus when you're trying to write your books. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're writing and you're in the, the creation zone, you have your creator's hat on your storyteller's hat on, you should do what you want to do because that's your unique voice and you need to tell the story and people love your unique voice. So you yeah. should, you should commit to it, right? Like don't try to edit yourself down to appeal to an audience, be who you are and then mm-hmm. find the audience that that appeals to your work or who um who find your work appealing but with uh with marketing it's not really about your opinion at all you you don't yeah. get to decide what is quality the market decides and so if you're marketing your books let the market decide follow the data uh, yeah. don't be egotistical or stubborn about it and yeah. you know that's something that i've had to come to terms with because you know i'm like this artwork I paid $500 for should, should definitely sell. Right. Yeah. But like yeah. people keep clicking my stupid face. So I'm just going to use that is what right. it is. You know, I think like right now I'm trying to get book covers on the images to work on Facebook ads. Like mm-hmm. everybody says the best practice is put book covers on there and I test it and it doesn't work. And I test oh, it again and it doesn't work. And I was okay. like, I, I don't know why, but it ain't working. You know, yeah. I tested it in like a traffic click test. Uh-huh. And the images of me with the tagline and no book covers wins yeah. hands down every time. And we're talking like double the conversion rate, half yeah. the cost, right? Yeah. And then I I was like, okay, well, I heard I heard someone say that, you know, even though the image with book covers failed, uh, it didn't win the traffic test. It didn't do badly. So they went ahead, tried it on their mm-hmm. sales ads and it worked. And I thought, okay, well... Maybe I'll just try one in a sales ad and it'll work. And it worked for two days. And then the conversion, the click-through rate went to 1.7. It just stayed there. And I was like, well, that's it, right? So it just tanked immediately. And and the only difference, like I've used that image elsewhere. The only difference was the book covers. So, and it's the same copy as the other one. So, you know, I'm just trying to let the market tell me Mm -hmm. what's working and, and read market signals rather than trying to force my idea, right? It's it's kind of the same thing to me as if like you're with a group of friends and you're like, yeah, let's go do this. And they're all like, no, I don't really <laughs> want to go to that restaurant. I don't yeah. really like it. The bathrooms aren't clean. And you're like, no, this is the best place 
to eat, you have to go like you're going to just lose your friends at that point. They're not going to yeah. go with you. So you you can't make the market move in a certain direction. All you could do is read it and respond to it. And I think the cool thing about AMO is that it teaches you a process to do that. Yeah. And as long as you follow the process, then, you know, you can make it work. My listeners are, are tired of me saying this over and over, so I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But I mean, I've tried a significant number of programs. I've paid uh, a really significant amount of money to be part of programs mm-hmm. that promise results. Um, and it got it got to the point where I was so trigger shy that when ammo came along, I, everything that I was reading told me it was a good choice. And I just was mm-hmm. not willing to make the the investment until finally I emailed Steve and 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 basically threatened him. I was like, if you if it doesn't work like planned, I promise I'm taking my refund and I'm gonna go splatter that all over the internet. Um uh-huh. So, so to, to be here in this position now, to be advocating for the ammo program, to have a podcast that's in the ammo family is kind of a crazy journey for me. It's like, it works so well. And what you said, I think encapsulates it as well as anybody that I've heard. It gives you a process that if you just follow the process and it's almost like put the logic aside because the logic is already pre-digested for you of the program. Right. Watch the videos, right. do the videos, don't question why, just do. And I think yep. a lot of people say they want that until they get it. And then they're like, I don't like this. This this defies yeah. my yeah. my unique author persona. And you're like, no, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> Your marketing yeah. is a separate thing. Just do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Running the business is separate from creating the books. They're two different hats you have to wear. And yeah. I think, you know, there's certainly some people who just aren't ready for for ammo yep. um i was lucky enough to find it when i was ready because if yeah. i had found it a year ago I, I wouldn't have been in a position to take advantage of it okay um, say more on that why i didn't have enough books okay didn't have enough books full stop i had uh the in this series i now have six books three novels and three novellas and that package is appealing and i can sell yeah. it at a certain price point and it's a high enough price point that i can make a margin on it yeah you know last year i only would have had three books to to sell in that package and it wouldn't, it would have been harder. It would have been yeah. a much more difficult proposition. Now, could I have learned what headlines work best, what images work best, mm-hmm. how to optimize my page? Like, yeah, I could have made some headway, but because now the, the full funnel is there, like I have all six books and, you know, I had a novel come out in April mm-hmm. and the novella last novella is coming out. I haven't even published it on Amazon yet. It's, it's released to Kickstarter backers. It's coming out like next week or something. As soon as I find awesome. time to publish it, um, the two of the six books I'm selling came out this year, right? So last year I was not ready. Yeah. Uh, and again, when I started Ammo, I didn't have those books, right? So I started with four books and then I had the fifth and then yeah. I added the sixth and now that's complete and I've got four audiobooks and I'm producing the last two novellas. So like I'm building it up and I was able to start just enough ahead of when those books were ready yeah. to make enough progress in the course to get it to work for me. But yeah. Like, could I, do I think that I, so I have two other series, right? I've got the Relics of the Ancient Space Opera. I've got the Translocator Trilogy. Uh, and then I've got the Gun Files. The Translocator Trilogy is portal fiction, but there's only three novels and there's two mm-hmm. short stories. I'm not sure I could make that funnel work profitable. Mm, interesting. I don't, I don't know if I could. I, it, it gives me enough pause that I, I don't really want to go invest in that right now. Yeah. Uh, one, I don't own the audio to it, right? So okay. I really only That's have right. an ebook in print. There's only three novels um, and two short stories, right? Not even novellas. They're, they're short stories. So it just doesn't seem high enough value to earn back the, the, the ad spend, knowing what I know about how much I'm spending on ads. And then you couple that yeah. with it's an off genre, like niche mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it just makes it that much harder to sell. So I think like I wasn't really ready until this year. And when I saw ammo, I was like, Oh, I'm finally ready to do something like this. Um, yeah. So it was just good timing on, on that, on his part, I guess. Cause I yeah. think I found it through uh, an interview on the creative pen. So. Oh, job, awesome. Steve. Yeah. And I love, I love Joanna. She's, she's amazing. Oh yeah. Um, she's great. There are, there are some other podcasts out there that I think uh, promise the world and, and don't deliver. And I'm just trying mm-hmm. to not, not necessarily like smear them, but uh, you've probably heard of them and you've probably been tempted because they're really good at getting you razzed up and emotionally feeling like oh, yeah. great. Um, there's a huge difference between well, um, feeling emotionally great and, and having great success. Yeah. Like, let's talk about all the punches I've taken, right? Like I've taken other ads courses that didn't work for me. I've spent tons of money on Amazon ads that I 
lost money on. You know, yeah. I've spent tons of money on Facebook ads to promote, you know, new releases and stuff through the years where, you know, I was kind of just spending money, hoping and praying that it would work yeah. uh, because I don't have any, any visibility into funnel conversion data when I'm sending traffic to Amazon. And so like, I've tried all sorts of stuff um, yeah. that has not worked for me. And I know people who have done the same stuff and got it to work for them. Sure. It's not necessarily that the the program is incorrect or that what right. they're saying isn't working for someone. It right. just didn't work for me with my books at that point in time, knowing what I know with my skills. Right. Yeah. So I've, I've, you know, learned through the years what works and what doesn't work. And, and that's kind of led me like, it's kind of like, following the market signals, right? Like, oh, this one has a better click-through rate. This one is a lower cost. Um, I've learned through doing these courses, like that, that one didn't work. Uh, I should yeah. probably not waste money on Amazon ads because they're not working for me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there are probably a number of reasons and a number of different things I could try, but I've chosen not to go that route anymore. Yeah. So let's take one quick pit stop diversion to talk about reviews, because I think that that's one thing that's really important about the ammo process. So maybe it's not even a pit stop or a diversion. It's just mm -hmm. um, let's put a pin in it and say, well, how, how do you go about getting reviews uh, before you're really ready for ammo? Because that's been a huge thing that I've noticed is, is that the reviews have directly correlated with uh, the success of the sales funnel. Okay. When it comes to reviews, here's what I've done. When I launch books, I, I I built an ARC team, like an advanced review copy team, and I would send out free copies of every book I released and ask them to review, and that kind of gets the the engine moving. Um, the other thing that I've gotten a bunch of reviews from is just promoting my books, right? Like if you get a BookBub deal and thousands of people download your book, uh, then you're going to get a few reviews out of it. There are also review services that you could use. Uh, you could send your book to another author in your genre and see if you can get a quote or a testimonial from them to use on your on your uh, page. I haven't done that. I've just used reader reviews because I have them. But right. I spent a lot of time over the years, like giving out review copies and trying to get people to leave reviews of my work. Because at the time, like in KU, especially, it was super important to get good reviews early so that while you have that 30 day window to get the new release tag, you know, the reviews are bolstering the algorithm and yada, yada, yada. So I've trained my readers over the years to leave reviews on Amazon. Um, I worry less and less about the reviews. Yeah. Um, but like, and, you know, now that they've combined the ratings and reviews, like Starfighter Down has almost 900 ratings, but 44 reviews, I think, like written Oh, reviews. interesting. Okay. So I went, I went over, you know, all the channels, all the platforms, all the retailers. I looked everywhere to pull reviews together for that book across all three books, actually, um, and the novellas. So I just like pulled all the reviews together and like picked the, my favorite ones, tested a few of them and started using those. But yeah, it's it's like it's true with with any product you're selling online, like social proof is very important still yes. um, and probably always will be because people are like, is this a scam? Is it, you know, how do I know it's good? So hard um, to tell. Where, yeah. You know, people just they need that social proof. Right? Like we're social animals. So they need to see that somebody else enjoyed this, that it was worth the money, you know, to reassure them. So yeah. yeah, it is, it is very important. Um, but yeah, I, I just pulled them from Amazon, from BookBub, from Goodreads, wherever I could find reviews. Yeah. Uh, I get them. So we're going to talk about social media and then we're going to talk about actual financial investment. Uh, how, how active are you on social media and why? Uh, um, so I have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm, I'm not going to get on TikTok. I'm sorry. Don't ask me. I <laughs> am just not interested. Um, Twitter, I was like a daily Twitter user for yeah. years. Um, now, uh, and you know, I had, I had an Instagram account when it first opened because I was like into photography at the time. Yep. You know, Instagram went a different direction. They were acquired by Facebook at some point. Now they are part of the Facebook machine. Uh, so I have all three accounts. The one, the only one I really use to engage with my fans on is Facebook. I'll okay. occasionally post something on Twitter or Instagram. And here's why Facebook actually works for me. It helps me reach readers. I've only got like a thousand followers. It's pretty small for, yeah. for an author on there. Um, but it's the only one where people are engaged. Mm -hmm. They like and comment and respond to my posts. They, they see stuff. Uh, Twitter just feels like shouting into the void and Instagram. Yeah. I just can't be bothered to be on. I don't really like it. Like, you yeah. know, all, all the women I'm uh, like my wife, uh, my sister, um, you know, I know other people who like Instagram. A lot of people like Instagram. It's great for, you know, artists. Mm -hmm. It's great for photographers. It's great for models. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, awesome to like share your 
life with people. There's tons of influencers on there. That's a, it's a platform that works, but I don't like it. So it's not going to work for me. So Facebook's the only thing that's worked. And here's the other reason. When I launched the Kickstarter in 2021, Kickstarter is a direct sales platform. You can crowdfund your your project, yep. but they're not, they're not just giving you money. They're not donating money, right? Like they're buying a product that you are then yeah. shipping to them. So it's direct sales platform. They are really good at giving you access to data that is related to your campaign. So when I'm running a Kickstarter, I could see how many, um, how many backers Kickstarter website drove, how many backers mm-hmm. Kickstarter's emails drove, how mm-hmm. many backers my personal profile drove, how many backers my page drove, how, uh, Facebook page drove, how many backers Twitter and Instagram drove. Yeah. I can tell you that after raising $13,000 for that trilogy, um, that $0 came from Twitter. And at that point, yeah. I was like, peace, I'm out. Like, yep. bye. This is a waste of time. Because I'm on there to promote my books. Like, yes, I yep. like engaging with people. I enjoy the interaction. I think Twitter's really fun. Um, it was sucking so much time and so much of my mental yes. energy. And I got nothing from it yeah. um, in terms of book marketing. Now, I get yeah. personal value from it. But, you know, for me, it, uh, I started it as a personal profile and I made it into my author profile. If it's not going to yeah. help sell books, then I don't want to waste my time there. So yeah. I've narrowed it down to one platform, Facebook, my Facebook page. I don't even post author stuff on my profile anymore. It's only the page. I run ads to the page and I post occasionally on the page. Like we're talking like once or twice a week, not yeah. that often. And then I have my email list, which, you know, again, I told you I have a thousand Facebook followers, like a few hundred people on Instagram, mm-hmm. maybe a 1500 on Twitter or whatever. Um, and I have like, yeah, did I say like 6,000 people on my email list? Mm-hmm. So that's, way bigger than any of those social numbers, right? And that's yeah. what matters because I can reach them directly. It's yep. in their inbox. They could choose not to open it. But in, I know enough people do that like that and Facebook are what drove funds yeah. for the Kickstarter. Facebook one, ads are what drives ammo sales, you know? Yeah. So yeah, one one email to 6,000 people that's well-targeted and that they opted into uh, knowingly um, just drives so much results compared to anything else that you can do. Uh, and then it does come down to a numbers game because, you know, if you have 6,000 people there and the majority of them have bought uh, your your first book, uh, you can't necessarily keep hammering more sales of the first book. So that's when it gets really yep. important yep. to to put out a new book and get them excited again. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about money because that's something I haven't talked a ton about. Uh, Gordon has been on the show and and he, I think, uh, alluded to it, but didn't really talk about it. We didn't, we didn't discuss money. And I think it's a really important piece of ammo. Uh, you've already said that having several books out is uh, a key to being successful. Also a mindset about spending money. So, so many authors mm-hmm. really, really hold tightly to their money and don't want to spend until the book is making money. And as business people, we understand you don't necessarily have to spend money to make money, but you have to be willing to spend money. And ammo is going to come with a cost in order to advertise right. plus the sign up for the program. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you don't have to be share specific numbers if you're not comfortable with it, but share with me uh, the the kind of investment and what it feels like to move that money away from yourself. Yeah, it's scary. Um, but I think, you know, the, the mindset shift that Steve teaches in the course is that you're buying data, you're buying information, you're buying yeah. learning. Um, and if you can position it that way, I think it's it becomes a little bit more palatable. It also helps once you get your first funnel working that now when I spend money, I make it back at least. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like to make a profit, but at least I know I'm not losing money now. Yeah. Um, when I first started the course, though, um, I had to budget like how much I was willing to spend the mm-hmm. the tools are, are not cheap spending money on facebook ads is not cheap yep. and you only go as fast as as you're willing to spend money right so if you're running an yeah. experiment you're only spending five dollars a day you're going to be waiting days for that results of that experiment to come in if you're That's spending right. forty dollars a day that experiment's done in 24 hours or even perhaps. less yep so or less so um you know, <clears throat> that's a mindset shift. It's hard to do. Obviously, you have to have the money to spend in the beginning, right? Yep. And you have to have a product that is valuable enough that you can charge enough yes. to make a profit on, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not giving money away here. I'm running a business. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was definitely a mindset shift. I um, have learned over the years of freelancing and running a business and running our house 
household finances, although my wife is the one that has the master's in accounting and she's brilliant and uh, really good with money. Like compared to me, I'm a, I'm a financial idiot compared to her. She's just <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Uh, and when I have spreadsheet problems, I go, please, Shelly, help me because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so she's great. And she's taught me a lot about money. I say, actually, my wife has probably taught me more about money than anybody I know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're really good about keeping a budget and knowing how much money we're spending and, and mm-hmm. keeping track of that stuff. And I do my books at the end of every month because I'm running a business, you know, even on the months yeah. where I lose money. And those are the hardest months to do the bookkeeping, right? And months that yeah. you've lost money and those happen, right? Like, especially in publishing, it's tends to be a spike and long tail business. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the Kickstarter, I raised $13,000. My bank account looked great, but I knew that that money was earmarked for uh, printing costs and exactly. shipping and, yeah. and production of t-shirts and the starfighter models and the bookmarks and the stickers and et cetera. And then I, I use some of it to fund the audio production. I use some of it to market. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to know where your money's going. And I think that's the key. Um, if yeah. you have, you know, bad money habits or uh, just like some mixed emotions or, you know, some blockers around money, it's best to get those cleared up first. Yeah. And I learned a long time ago, I think it was actually from John Scalzi's blog where he was kind of breaking down what his income as a writer looks like, mm-hmm. that being a full-time writer is much more about the finances than it is your ability as a storyteller. And I think a lot of people don't know how to divorce the two. They think, if yeah. I make money, I must be a good writer. But that's actually not true. There are a bunch of brilliant books published all the time, every week probably, that never reach an audience. And there are a bunch of mediocre books that sell buku tons. So, you know, your, your ability to make money with your books is not tied to your value as a storyteller or as a creative person. They are two separate skills and you need to learn both in order to be in business as a writer. Yeah. You know what I'm afraid of, man, as as we're getting to this point in the conversation, I just had this sort of realization. I'm afraid that there are people listening right now who don't have the right personality type to even hear what you're saying. It scares me a little (laughs) bit. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. Like I realize as, as you're saying everything you're saying, one, um, my wife uh, has a minor in, in art graphic design type stuff, but she majored in accounting. Um, She worked for uh, an accountant for a long time. Same kind of thing. Um, I, I was in real estate investing for, for years and built up a, a really large amount of money just through real yep. estate investing. So money is deeply important to me. And I'm the same in my brain about money as, as mm-hmm. the things that you've talked about. And so when I saw ammo, I think there was that flicker of recognition. I was like, aha, that's the missing piece. It's there's not a money, being yeah, a better a writer. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not about being a better writer. It's about finding a program that gets money and understands how to deploy money to make money. Um, right. That's I'm it. afraid, yeah, that there's going to be people who are like, my artistic vision. What about yeah, my Yeah, yeah. Well, there's going to be tons of people who are like, I don't have money problems. Like, I don't have any problem with money, but, yeah. you know, they've got $15,000 of credit card debt, right? Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't carry credit card debt for that reason, especially for my business, right? It's cash yeah. business because I know that the money going out is gone and it's spent and the money coming in is mine and I don't owe it to anybody. And yeah. it took me years, decades to clear these these money challenges, these, I don't even know what you'd call them, like money myths maybe, um, where to get to the point where I was comfortable with it. And like I said, I ran a freelance business um, where I was selling content strategy services for five years. Like I had to mm-hmm. do my taxes and, and make an, uh, you know, run my business as an S corp for a while and hire freelancers and like deal p- with payroll and send invoices. Like yeah. I've had a lot of experience and a lot of practice doing that. And it would be, it would be crazy for me not to consider that stuff. But, you know, the dirty secret of publishing is that a lot of full-time authors have spouses with full-time jobs and health yes. plans and retirements, military benefits. Every time, every time I talk to somebody who who brags about being a full-time author, they've got yeah. a yeah, spouse or right. a partner. Support out there system. They've got a support system. Absolutely. And of course they do because we're human beings and we live in community and we, we have support systems. But, you know, um, that I, I wish I could go back and find it. It's it's in the archive somewhere. John Scalzi's written a couple times about like the business of being an author. Here's how I yeah. make my money. Here's what it looks like. Um, and I think everybody would benefit from reading those articles from somebody who's being honest with them about it because being a full-time writer is like being full-time as a writer is about money, not the story. Yeah. I love it, man. Do send me those links because I want to get them in the show notes for this episode. Um, yeah, with- I'll find them. 
with that in mind, uh, we are at an hour, so I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, it sounds to me like it's pretty easy to find you out there if people want your books, but what's the best place to connect with you? And do you want to include any version of your doorbuster uh, deal in the show notes? Oh, sure. Yeah, I can send you a link to that. Um, okay. But the best place to find me online is mgheron.com, M-G-H-E-R-R-R-O-N.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, at mgheron and uh, Twitter and Instagram, although I don't check those that often as we talked yeah. about the best yeah. place really is mgheron.com all my books are there a link to my stores there and yeah i'll send you a link to the the doorbuster so that people can can check out the relics of the ancient series an ebook or audiobook if they want fantastic it's been uh, a ton of fun i do have one last question i just realized as we were wrapping why mg heron uh, we all we all have our author name story and um yeah, curious about yours. yeah. well i mean the, the the truth is that um i had the domain name i had the twitter handle gotcha, and i had other articles and stuff although all this stuff is like lost in the ether of the internet now but i had yeah. other stuff published under matt heron and i was doing freelance work as matt heron and i wanted to differentiate you know, my author persona yeah. from my nonfiction content strategy persona and MG Heron just felt right at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I didn't put the dots in it, but you know, we live with our mistakes sometimes and uh, it's worked out for me. So I'm going to, uh, I'm committed to it. I'm yeah. going to go with it for now. Awesome, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?